0: On Islamic Way in West Baltimore, a mosque, Masjid al-Huk, sits at the center of a quiet tree-lined block between Druid Hill Avenue and Division Street. The aroma of incense wafts from the mosque to the small, bright playground across the street. Occasionally, prayer in Arabic can be heard outside, amplified as if by speakers. If you're standing still, taking in the scents and sounds, the block seems hallowed, as though the carefully observed practices of the Muslims who enter should be observed by all passersby. But there's a pickup basketball game just a few blocks from the mosque's front door. Non-Muslim neighborhood residents stroll by without taking notice, the women in sleeveless tops and shorts on a balmy summer day, the men cursing affably on the basketball court, teens flirting immodestly. It becomes clear that Masjid al-Huk is an example of how seamlessly integrated Baltimore's predominantly black Muslim community is within our predominantly black city. We see each other, Muslim black residents and non-Muslim black residents, and we respect each other's differences. On its surface, this seems a much simpler dynamic than others you'll find across the nation right now. It's rarer here for residents to eye their Muslim neighbors with suspicion than it's been in other American cities lately. Though many non-Muslim Baltimoreans may not know much about the nuances of their beliefs, it's hard for any of us to imagine the city without their many historical contributions to it. For those of us who get to live alongside Muslims and witness their faith being observed without fear, the view is beautiful. For WEAA 88.9 FM, I'm Stacia Brown, and this is Baltimore, The Rise of Charm City, Episode 10. Can't we all just get Islam?
1: Alhamdulillah, <laughs> Rabbil the sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ila abi ajma'in Lightly translated, we seek refuge with Allah from the accursed Satan, with Allah's name, the merciful benefactor, the merciful redeemer. Praise be to Allah, Lord of all the worlds, Lord of all the systems of knowledge, who created the human being in the best of stature. It is Allah who we seek for assistance, ask for his forgiveness, put our trust in him, he that is almighty and sublime.
0: This is Juma or Friday prayer, at the Muslim Community Cultural Center of Baltimore, where the resident imam is Earl El Amin. Like all of the masjids, or mosques, and Muslim community spaces in Baltimore City, the center is surrounded by an economically depressed black neighborhood. Imam Earl wants the Muslim Community Cultural Center to be a hub from which a safer, more beautiful, and financially solvent community extends. He showed us a sketch of the center's vision for this model neighborhood.
1: We're in the Walbrook Junction, Walbrook uh, neighborhood, and we part of our uh, our mission is to be uh, in the fabric of Walbrook Junction. Uh, We're also in the process of building. Uh, a uh, we, we we do own a significant piece of property in which we're going to build on, we we we, we so that we can establish a model neighborhood in the Walbrook area. Uh, this neighborhood, uh, uh, the city is one of the most. This, I think this is a very neglected area, and you've seen the, the rise in in crime and whatnot because of uh, the city has somewhat neglected this and put the emphasis on certain things, and that's what uh, you know. Uh, we re, when we react to certain stimuli. We don't look at it holistically, uh, and so what happens is uh, uh, one one area in the city is going to get uh, all of these resources, and so because of the uprising, one area in the city is getting a lot of resources.
0: As we toured the center after Juma, my colleague Mavish Raza and I spoke with Imam Earl to learn more about the larger history of Islam being practiced in Baltimore. We asked exactly when that began.
1: 1946. <laughs> 1946, um, for the Nation of Islam, um, we're still trying to ascertain when the the Islam proper came into the city. But uh, 1946, uh, a a gentleman who uh, was a member of this community here was the initial person to have started it. It began in East Baltimore, migrated to West Baltimore. First, temple was down on Green Willow Street, and then it moved, and then it moved to what you know now in Islamic way. That was temple number six. In 1975, when uh, the death of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, uh, his son um, was voted the leader, Imam Waratuddin Muhammad. And so he, came, he, he brought uh, what we call the, uh, from the proto-Islamic movement to mainstream Islam. That's practiced worldwide by everyone. Sister
0: Zakia Amin is a principal at the Islamic Community School on North Avenue at Masjid al sufat She was raised in East Baltimore and after some years away, returned to the city in 1980. She recalls the history of Muslim community growth thusly.
2: When I came here back home in 1980, there was one masjid, Masjid al sufat which was located in a row house on Myrtle Avenue, not far from here. As a matter of fact, it had the same address, 1335. That's really interesting. Um, and it was a kind of small community. There might have been maybe about 25 or 30 families. But um, Muslims have a lot of children. So, you know, our uh, sort community was really growing. Um, we moved to this location in 1982. She
0: says that Muslims have long been woven into the fabric of Baltimore's black communities.
2: Baltimore City is primarily African-American. African-Americans have an affinity for Islam. Um, If we know our history, we know that a great number of people who were enslaved that were brought from Africa were Muslims. We have, I've even known some families where there are like five, six generations of Muslims in the family, you know, that goes way back. We are active in the community. So it's not like we're like these separate people.
0: But these days, more Muslims of other cultures are making their way into the city for a time.
2: Um, We are seeing more Muslims of European-American descent, people of uh, Latinos. We're also um, seeing more Arabs in the area because back then, most of the immigrant Muslims were from India or Pakistan. Now we're seeing a lot of more Muslims from other Arab places, a lot from Morocco, from Yemen from Iraq. And we also have a number of Syrian refugees in this area now. And the organization that I work with, Muslim Social Services Agency, we deal with helping out some of the Syrian refugees. So there is a number that come, a lot of them have come to the Baltimore area. Um, We have had some refugee Muslim families in this school for a period of time as they transitioned. But most of them live near each other. There's a, a large contingent in East Baltimore. And then, you know, once they get on their feet, you know, they may go to other places.
0: In mainstream Islam, as Imam Earl refers to it, there are two denominations, Shia and Sunni. But most black Americans were introduced to Islam when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad took over the Nation of Islam in 1934. Back then, the Nation of Islam focused on the spiritual, mental, social, and economic condition of black citizens at the height of Jim Crow, which made it appealing to many members of the black community. Other sects arose in its wake, claiming affiliation with Islam, including the Moorish Science Temple and the Darul Islam Movement.
3: Well, it's not for me. You know, the word Muslim means one who submits entirely to the will of God. Mm -hmm. One who submits entirely to the will of God. That's what Muslim means. So I, I don't know, I cannot be the judge on how much I submit entirely to the will of God.
0: During the early days of his conversion, boxing legend Muhammad Ali espoused Nation of Islam beliefs. Later, he too would transition to mainstream Islam. Baltimore played a significant role in the stages of his religious development. Imam Earl spoke at length about this during his sermon following Juma.
1: Muhammad Ali, father, husband, businessman, known for his athletics, but he was able to bring all people together, regardless of their race, religion, color, politics. Everybody embraced Ali. But we know Ali, some of us intimately, he used to come in here and right here and here. And you can take this for what it's worth. Ali learned how to make prayer in Baltimore, Maryland, through the first imam here, Imam Ronald Shacker. We were here this morning, and I happened to go through a couple drawers, and I found a picture of Ali. When he, and at the front here in the, in the office here, I found a picture of Ali and the brother. And uh, I said, I'm going to talk about Ali. Because we need, to, we need to understand and have a profound respect for Ali and the magnitude of what he was able to do and the people's lives that he touched. And now the Muslim world is wide open now. And the Muslim world is wide open for you to lead. You don't have to be a sheikh. You don't have to be an imam. You just have to be a good human being, who evolves from the natural state, Amra, to the moral state, Nasa'amra, to the spiritual state.
0: Most of the modern-day masjids and Muslim communities in Baltimore we'll visit in this episode have their roots in early Black American Muslim movements. Today, however, many Muslims in Baltimore have subscribed to one of mainstream Islam's denominations, though they are still a small, thriving nation of Islam contingent in the city. Imam Earl prefers not to dwell on any denominational differences.
1: I answer it like this. Many people ask me, am I a Sunni Muslim? And I say, I'm a Muslim. Uh, was Muhammad the Prophet a Sunni Muslim or was he a Muslim? Was he a Shia? Was he a Shia? Over time, um, um, uh, there were differences in interpretation because religion essentially is interpretation, and it's predicated on your social, historical, psychological makeup, collectively and individually. I understand that the Nation of Islam uh, played a, a prominent role uh, in establishing Islam in America.
0: Sister Zakia has a slightly different perspective.
2: the, well, the people in the nation of, well the nation of Islam is not Muslim, so however many people first learn a little bit about Islam through the Nation of Islam, and then they leave it and, you know, come to actually do Islam. But I know there's a number of people who went through that transition stage.
0: Khalil Ismael is a Baltimore-based artist and organizer.
3: They were based on self-reflection and self-improvement and a collective self-reflection and self-improvement. And then, at that point, then, you know, God bless them with unity and their ability to move forward in cohesion.
0: Sister Zakia agrees with Mom Earl that today, the city's black Muslim population doesn't draw many ideological distinctions.
2: I don't think there's too many differences in Baltimore City as far as um, schools of thought and all, because most people in Baltimore City that I know, if you ask them what school of thought they follow, they just say, I'm just Muslim. Baltimore is not an area where, you know, you have people who say, well, I'm Maliki, I'm Shafi, I'm Hanafi. No, but most Baltimore people was just I'm a Muslim.
0: Up next, we'll hear more about how observing Islam here in Baltimore City informs black community activism. You're listening to Baltimore, The Rise of Charm City, on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. There isn't a single area you can visit in Baltimore City where you won't find members of the Muslim community serving the least fortunate members of the residential population.
2: Because it's a big part of Islam to help those who need help, then I think that it's just something that Muslims do. Like today, when I was saying that I had to rearrange the interview, it was because I had forgotten we were going downtown to feed the homeless today. We do that once a month. So, um, and they look forward to us coming. You know, um, I have a thing where I make tuna sandwiches. And when we went down today, they was like, oh, the tuna's here, the tuna's here, that's some good tuna. So, um, I just think that it's just part of being Muslim.
3: I don't see a separation uh, between me being a community activist and me being a Muslim. Uh, Because I am a Muslim, um, I am charged with being a community activist. My name is Rashid Aziz, I'm the Director of Citywide Youth Development here in Baltimore City. What I do is uh, provide relief for the poor, distressed, and underprivileged by creating economic and social development programs for inner city youth. Mr.
0: Aziz's initiatives include the creation of the first youth-run business inside Lexington Market, a sorbet shop, as well as a thriving screen printing business and other economic empowerment initiatives for young people. He says that most of the population he serves is non-Muslim, but are influenced and inspired by his long-term grounded Muslim activism.
3: We have some Muslim youth, but like 90% are non-Muslim youth. We have programs, because I'm active in my immediate community, that we help create programming at the, you know, some different community Muslim communities. So the majority of those people, of course, are Muslim. Um, but me, as far as citywide youth development, it's about Baltimore City residents. So whether they're Muslim or not Muslim, it totally is irrelevant. You know, to us, it's about, you know, meeting the needs of the people.
0: In Baltimore, the Muslim mandate to be active wherever necessary within communities had more public implications last year during the Baltimore uprising. Uh, Many members of the faith community were out there trying to calm the the crowds and discourage violence. I want to also thank uh, the Nation of Islam, who who have been very present in our efforts to Uh keep calm and peace Uh in our city.
2: Right off the corner of that.
1: What message message are you trying to send by putting a cell phone store? Is this about getting answers in the pretty great. And and
2: members of the Nation of Islam saying, don't do this. Don't do this. Stop this. Stop this. Putting
1: themselves in the. I can't hear what they're saying, but
2: you can see from their hand gestures that they are saying, don't do this. Stop it. Uh, it's, It's quite, I mean, it's just an unbelievable thing. Unbelievable.
1: You ever see, I've never seen anything like this. The speaking of the Nation of Islam, they, they have
3: been right on the front lines. As I know well. they have. Uh, I know they, they have. Tried to confuse and put themselves between.
2: The next day, again, as I mentioned before, we had the big cleanup. People came from all over the place. I mean, it was it was announced on the media that we needed people at eight o'clock. Everybody who came at eight o'clock, there was nothing left to clean on North Avenue. Because we were out there five thirty, six o'clock. So by the time eight o'clock people came, they were coming. It was like there's nothing to clean. There's nothing to clean because people, and mostly people from this neighborhood, had already gotten out and cleaned. The gang members, for some reason, got got along that week. Um, I had a discussion with some um, Bloods and Crips, and they were sitting together on the steps. And I know my granddaughter, who's at the time was well, about eleven or so, eleven or twelve, and. Um, Guess yeah, she's a little bit like me. She, she's very outgoing and she saw a couple of them sitting with their blue and their red. And she said, um, she said you know, you all need to stop fighting and you, you should find another way to make money besides selling drugs and other things that you do. She said, and I have an idea for you. I think you should start a security agency because I think you would make really good security guards and bodyguards.
0: We've heard a lot about how Muslim communities have formed and expanded within predominantly black communities in Baltimore City. Up next, we'll learn about another Muslim community, just two miles north of the city, that looks and functions quite differently than inner city masjids. During Ramadan, to break fast after sundown, my colleagues Mavish Raza and Ali Post attended an iftar, or dinner gathering, at the Islamic Society of Baltimore. That name may sound familiar. It's the mosque President Obama chose to attend last year to hold a roundtable discussion about the contributions of Muslim Americans to the United States and to affirm their right to freedom from religious persecution in this country. The Islamic Society of Baltimore, or ISB, is predominantly South Asian, It's located in Catonsville, a suburb of Baltimore County. Unlike the masjids in the city, ISB sits deep within a residential community and looks more like traditional mosques than Masjid al Huk or Masjid al Sufat. It's sprawling and prosperous as though its resources are plentiful. Mavish and Ali spoke with Shima Hai, a council member at the masjid there.
4: Uh, My name is Shima Hai. We are at the Islamic Society of Baltimore, Masjid rahma The community has grown, I would say, tenfold. Uh, I grew up here, I've lived here for over 25 years. I went to school here and I would say that, you know, there's a lot of new faces, a lot of different ethnicities, definitely I think the diversity has grown a lot. Um, see new faces all the time and it's harder and harder to kind of, I think the bigger the community gets sometimes, the harder it is to keep that community feeling where you don't know as many people and, um, you know, that kind of sense of togetherness unfortunately becomes less than more uh, because you're growing so fast. But in another way, it's also a positive thing to think about that there are so many Muslims in the area and they're continuing to grow as a, or we are continuing to grow as a community, uh, that you know, our centers, no matter how many Islamic centers they are, and how much room we have to pray, there's always expansions going on everywhere. So in that way, it's a good thing, but it's also kind of a bad thing because that close-knit community feeling tends to go away. Majority of our community uh, was, you know, the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Uh, And now you see a lot more, like, Africans, African-Americans, converts, uh, just a lot more diversity, even tonight.
0: In Baltimore City, ISB's reputation among the Black Muslim community is uneven, though some Black Muslims have historically sent their children to school there or visited for various services. That sense of separation may not have been helped by the fact that President Obama chose to visit ISB after the Baltimore uprising rather than one of the masjids in the predominantly black community most directly impacted by the unrest, ones like Masjid al-Sufat for instance, which is just two blocks from Penn and North.
4: I think one of the reasons why we can speculate maybe was because uh, the Baltimore uprising had happened. And they wanted to kind of, he wanted, or we were told that they wanted to kind of stay in the Baltimore area and go to a, um, a masjid in this area. So that was a reason. And then another reason we were told is because we have a full-time school here and they wanted somewhere where, you know, the focus was on education. So not just school, we have a full-time school. We have a, the Quran memorization program. We have a seminary program. You know, we have a lot of educational programs here. So I think that that was appealing uh, we had a lot of volunteers from our community who went into Baltimore and, and helped. Uh, we provided, you know, uh, support for the different massages in the Baltimore city area if they needed any kind of support in terms of monetary support or anything like that. Um, and you know, our leadership definitely was kind of involved and just figuring out like what was needed and what kind of help. And we are one of the largest community centers in the state of Maryland, as far as Islamic community centers. And in Baltimore County, we're definitely the largest Islamic uh, center. And you know, the city, it's like, it's our home as well. I mean, it's only like, what, three miles away from here, the city line. So it's not really like, oh, Baltimore city, they're so far away, they're they're right here. And uh, you know, so that engagement, is important and it definitely again could be better right uh, because we don't have the same struggles as the city does in terms of you know city residents and, and uh, even people who go to the massage in the city um, we I mean we definitely people from the city definitely come to our center here
0: it's
4: too long. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, they, The people from the city definitely come here. And I think it was kind of also a wake-up call that we need to have better relationship with Muslims in the city and also the community in general in Baltimore City.
0: A sense of cultural separation between Muslims at ISB and black Muslim communities in the city is pronounced. But the reasons for that distance vary depending on who's being asked.
3: Well, sure, I mean, segregation exists. I mean, you know, the reality of it is, um but it exists for a lot of different reasons. A lot of it isn't may not be primarily because of racism. Some of it is social, some of it is economic. The younger adults that are actually growing up in America and their parents, you know, immigrated from whatever countries they came from, they're a little bit more open minded. They understand the, the especially the inner city communities a lot better because they're you know, socially integrated with them has made a difference. Um, but, again, that economic gap hasn't been closed.
0: During a panel discussion, Baltimore, the Rise of Charm City, held at Impact Hub Baltimore on June 1, 2016, a few members of our panel discussed this gradual generational shift toward a more culturally integrated Muslim experience. This is poet-activist
5: Tariq Ture. My father, uh, he co-founded the first Sunni Masjid down the street on North Avenue, Masjid um, Safat. He's also the principal of the school there. And I guess my first experiences of Islam coming to Baltimore is him. And him corresponding from the people that he was learning Islam and and Arabic and stuff from. There's the the segregation that that is, you know, within the Muslim communities. I think it's getting a bit better. But when I was growing up, you had like ISB and it was like a wall there of just cultures and not like us. And, you know, we're not like them, those type of stereotypes. And uh, we didn't really cross... Beyond going to Jumar or maybe having a sporting event or something of that nature, but we pretty much stayed in our own silos, so I really didn't get to know a lot of Muslims who didn't look like me until I was into college and stuff.
0: Here's panelist Naima Sharif recalling her Muslim childhood in Baltimore City. Well, I remember growing up um a lot of my friends that I've met later, well, a lot of my best friends. They're my best friends now. But I didn't know them growing up, and they were right up the street. And it was because at that time, the leadership of <laughs> of certain masjid would not allow their children to come to our masjid. They thought that we were just not Muslim enough, I guess. And um, so what has changed between then and now is that now I see all the children are able to play together. People visit the different masajid, and there's not that wall anymore. Despite its complexities, Baltimore's Muslim communities are an invaluable asset to the city at large. Understanding one another remains essential to ensuring that we can all continue living peaceably together, no matter what ideological or cultural differences we may espouse. Here, Tariq Teray reads from his poem Sabr, which is Arabic for patience and perseverance, qualities that will be essential to continuing to build strong relationships between the city's various Muslim communities in the future.
5: Prayer without works is like the well-intentioned laborer who embarks on the task of excavating all the world's beaches, scooping the fine grains of sand with a spoon. Sabr.
0: This episode was produced by Mavish Raza. This program is produced by Stacia Brown and brought to you by WEAA 88.9 FM as part of Finding America, a national initiative produced by AIR with financial support from the Wincote Foundation, the MacArthur Foundation, the Ford Foundation, Artworks, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Baltimore, the Rise of Charm City's field production team includes Ali Post, Mavish Raza, and Marsha Jews. Theme music by Mark Gunnery for the Center for Emerging Media. Special thanks to Tarek Ture for reading from his poetry collection, Black Seeds, available at local booksellers like Red Emma's and retailers like Amazon.com. For photos and video from Baltimore City's Masjid's ISB and the people you just heard talking about them, visit RiseOfCharmCity.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at RiseOfCharmCity.